as you know, we do want to jump right in. Our services can be uh, different than what other people have been used to. We understand that. Today was not as crazy yet as they often are, but I'm still hopeful. We are not telling you that the way we worship God is the only way to worship God. We don't have rules about sitting, kneeling, standing, what order we make the sign of the cross or any other thing. Our heart's desire is to see you express your love to the Lord in whatever way you can do it and to let that expression grow throughout your lifetime. That's our heart's desire. We have one aim during our worship service is that the presence of God would manifest in here in a way that even lost people can feel it. The hope there is that they'll begin to crave something, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And that those that already know the Lord will be encouraged in their spirit and directed in their way. Did anybody feel the presence of the Lord this morning? How many of you would like some more? Because I want to tell you, He was here when we showed up this morning at 5.45. And He'll be with us wherever we go. The question does not depend on whether He shows up. The question really is whether you will show up. Amen. You understand? Amen. Okay, so we got a couple things to just get out of the way. Beautiful things, blessing things. Last Sunday I told you that we would begin to build a sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. Amen. I mean, you are the temple of God. Hallelujah. But there's too many of you now to fit in here. Look around. There are no empty seats. <laughs> so last Sunday we began. And we have knocked down I don't know how many walls, uh, but we built a bunch. We've expanded our bathroom so that we can all fit. And we built a stage that is 50 feet long so that we can all fit at our altar. Have you been at an altar called in here? You know, we have to move the chairs to fit the people. And we didn't want that. A huge part of our direction moving forward is to preserve some space in here that during the service we can pray. That after the service we can pray. This will be a house of prayer for all nations. Amen? Somebody sent me some emails about that. I didn't respond to you because I was going to in church. And if you sent me an email but you're not in church today, this was your one and only reply. <laughs> so you have to hear it on tape. I want to go after God with all my heart. Where's your heart? You want to go after it? Come on, Jay, you came from Port Lavaca. Do you want to go after God with all of your heart today? Come on, by any means necessary, whatever it takes. I've met people all over the world. And wherever you meet somebody that's hungry for God, guess what happens? He meets them in their hunger. We do not have to defend God. We do not have to talk about working up ourselves into some kind of frenzy. All we need to do is hunger for Him, and He will meet you where you are. So I'm going to ask you before we even preach, are you hungry for the Lord? Yes. Come on, the more you work for the Lord, the hungrier you'll get for the Lord. Let's build an appetite for the Lord. This morning is uh, January 27th. I forgot it was my birthday until last night, and then I forgot again this morning. That happens when we don't sleep a lot. I'm going to leave for India with a few friends to go see some very precious people. I think we have three Sundays left before I leave. Before we leave, we will be meeting in there. Okay? 
before we leave, we will have a service. And how's that for time pressure and deadlines? <laughs> have I ever told y'all we would do something and then not do it? Done it? We will be there. Today is January 27th. It is 2013. Our message this morning is called Gardening in Gethsemane. If you didn't get it, you need to get a bulletin. In our bulletin, there is an insert. There are things for you to respond to. You can drop them in the offering box, which we conveniently hid in the back of the room. It will not be passed. I'm not after your money. I'm after your heart for God. And whatever provisions flow out of that cheerfully, joyfully, we will find a way to live on because our King is able. Gardening in Gethsemane. Let us start in the second chapter of Genesis and see where it takes us. Tell me when you're there. Say there when you get to Genesis 2. One of you. One of you, but there's a hundred of you. Where are the other 99? I'm supposed to leave 99 and chase down one. I'm not supposed to stand, stand with, the, with the majority not there. Are you there? You're going to have to learn to speak in church. We do not do silence in here. There is no sage on a stage. This is not a lecture. It's a family meeting, and I'm inviting you to my family. If you arrived here with the help of some transportation from us, that's because your family will pick you up. Amen. Also, you heard earlier that it was my birthday, right? You heard that. I want to spend my birthday with those of you that arrived on a bus. Is that okay? Yeah. If you arrived on a bus today, we're going to have a birthday meal together. It'll be right after the service. I'll sit. I can share my life with you. You can share your life with me. How's that for a celebration? Amen. Is there anybody that came on the bus that says, No, Pastor, I will not share your birthday with you today. <laughs> well, praise God for that. Amen. we got a good group today. In Genesis 2, I want to ask you because I can feel that there are theologians in the room today. You get that feeling? Look to your left and your right. Not only are they pretty, they're biblically astute. Where did God create man? Come on, somebody shout it out. Where did God create man? Oh, my friends, you are all wrong. You are all wrong. In the second chapter of Genesis, we find in the seventh verse these words. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. Mankind was created in the very hand of the living God. The breath of God, the substance of the earth and the substance of heaven, made into a unified picture of what God is like. He didn't create you in a garden. He created a man and then he put him somewhere. He put him in the garden. <laughs> I love the Lord. You know, when you dream of going on vacation, actually some of you recently went. You called it a work trip, but we know. You dream of places like Hawaii. You dream of places that are beautiful, places that are pretty, right? Was the Garden of Eden pretty, friends? So was it a nice place or a bad place? Wouldn't you expect that the man would do well in a luxurious place? He was in a wonderful garden, but he ruined it, didn't he? 
no longer suitable for human habitat, or rather the humans were not suitable for it. Some of us think that the problem is where God has placed us. We think that the problem is our station in life. The problem is, you don't understand, Pastor, I'm sleeping under a bridge, or you don't understand, Pastor, I'm married to an unreasonable person, and I'm telling you the problem has never been where you are placed. The problem is what is inside of us. Because when a man only had the man on the planet, he's there all by himself, that Louisiana Bayou, by yourself there. <laughs> he's staring at a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And my goodness, you get two people together, and it doesn't take long for it to go downhill. Something's wrong with the human heart. Something's wrong with our condition. But while we're on biblical questions, why did God put Adam in a garden? To work it, somebody said. Genesis 2.15 says it this way. The Lord God took the man and put him. Come on. He took him and put him. If the Lord hasn't taken you from one place and put you in some place else, you have not experienced the gospel yet. Because the gospel story is the calling out of Ur of Chaldees into the land that he will show you. It is the calling away from your father's trade after following Jesus, the fisher of men. It is a moving from darkness and into light. If he didn't take you from darkness and put you in light, then friends, you are standing in the wrong place. But if you are standing where he put you, wherever you are standing is the kingdom of of God. Amen. Amen. If He is your King and you are His subject, wherever He places you, like chess pieces on a board, surrounded by the enemy makes no difference. All alone makes no difference. Right. If we stand where He put us, All right. then we are standing in the kingdom of God. Amen. He put Him in the garden to work it. He took Him and put Him. What do you call a man who works soil? A farmer, a gardener. I mean, a gardener is really a miniature farmer, isn't it? Anybody in here got a vegetable garden? How society has changed. If we preached this message a hundred years ago, and there were a hundred people in the room, 99 would have raised their hand and one would have kept it down. But in our modern cellophane plastic society, in a room with a hundred people, one man, as a vegetable garden. Do we wonder why we don't understand the scripture? It is an eastern book and we are a western people. It is from an ancient world and we're in modern times. But it still addresses your very heart issue. Because while the world around us has changed, the human heart has not. It has never mattered what your position was relative to in a garden or out of a garden. It has always mattered what your heart was. So he put him in the garden to work it. Come on, that's fun to say. I'll say work it. Work it. Come on, we're going to work it today. Now since we only have one gardener in here today, let me give you some spiritual gardening 101. Is that okay? Can we work some gardening today? Here comes spiritual gardening. Now I don't know how it's going to line up with your gardening. Steve's an elder in the church. 
he can correct me afterwards. <laughs> Psalm 67 has become an anthem in our church. It's Psalm 67 verse 5. May the peoples praise you, O God. Yes. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield the harvest. When? Then. When they praise him. Then. It seems that righteousness brings a harvest. Amen. Right standing with God, right living with God means a fruitful life. What is it that the Holy Ghost is supposed to produce in you? Peace, joy, love, kindness, self-control. These kinds of things. What's coming out of your life? Well, let us just suggest something that every gardener would know. If you don't plant the right kind of seed, you're not going to have the right kind of fruit. Let me ask you. Are you planting the right kind of seed in your life? What, what are you sowing with the words of your mouth? What are you receiving with your ears? What is it that is going down into the center of you? Is it things that will produce life or things that will produce death? Righteousness brings a harvest. You can go back to Genesis. I'm going to summarize the third chapter for you. You ready? Sin. <laughs> That's the summary. Sin enters the equation. Now as soon as sin entered the equation in the third chapter, what did the ground produce? Thorns and thistles. See, we are still in spiritual gardening 101. Righteousness produces harvest. Sin produces more thorns. Anybody in here love to eat thorns? Anybody in here love to wear thorns? No. Anybody in here love to give thorns as a gift or receive thorns as a gift? No. Then we are not farming for thorns. The problem is not where we're placed, friends. It's what we're planting and what we're receiving wherever we're placed. Is your life thorny? <laughs> oh, let us, let us be honest with each other for a moment. I won't lie to you. You don't lie for me. Let me just go ahead and tell you if your life is thorny, you made it that way. Because you have a job. Your job is to work on soil. And if you're receiving things into your soil that shouldn't be there, it's going to hurt. If you're planting things in the soil that shouldn't be there, it is going to hurt. If your life hurts, it is the product of your own making. It has nothing to do with where you were placed. You don't understand my circumstances, Pastor. You surely live someplace <laughs> nice. I mean, all pastors these days drive Mercedes, right? Well, the pastors in these churches give their cars away. They keep showing up, though. <laughs> My Ford F-250 turned into a Honda CRV. We call it the church recon vehicle. I hadn't figured out how to put a 16-foot board in it yet, but we're working on it. I understand there's a victim mentality that we can have. And it says, you don't understand me, and my life is bad, and the reason that it's bad is not my fault. You're a liar. And we might as well deal with that now. I was also a liar. We do not like to come to the reckoning point. We don't like to say, I'm eating the words that I have sown. We don't like to say, I'm living out the fruit of my actions. We want to point to everyone else's actions, and they'll point to someone else's actions. Have you ever heard that baseball is the national pastime? We got a baseball player in the room. Anybody that likes to, to pitch that rock or smack it out of the park? 
One gardener and two baseball players. What kind of church are you? <laughs> oh, that would have been it. I want to make an argument for you that baseball is not the national pastime. Transferal of the blame is. <laughs> Democrats blame Republicans. Republicans blame Democrats. People blame the politicians that they themselves elected. This is not the problem. The problem is that we are not taking responsibility for our lives, for our country, for our homes, and for our children. We want to transfer it everywhere else. You say, oh, well, that's a modern thing, Pastor. No, no. Adam was given responsibility for Eve. He was given responsibility for the planet. And when God came to Adam and said, hey, why'd you do this? He said, hey, it was her. <laughs> and when she was confronted with the holiness of God, she said, it, it was him, it, whatever that is, that thing that you just made crawl on the ground. It lives by a lake. A snake. Snake. Lake. Snake. Oh, okay. What? Uh, nobody heard that Bob Dylan song. Okay. Man gave name to the animals. Mom, did you ever hear the Bob Dylan song? Okay, we just grew up in a different house than you people did. I don't know what to tell you. Why don't we do this? What was the first thing God said to him? I don't know. I'm in a questioning mood today. I'm sorry. Somebody tell me, what's the first thing? You, you got, it's an open book test. You are free. When you think of your relationship with the Lord, is it based on freedom? Or is it based on restriction? If I ask you what a Christian is, do you tell me a Christian does not do these ten things? A Christian does not smoke. A Christian does not drink. A Christian does not run with girls that do. I don't know. I don't know what your list is. But this is not where God placed the emphasis. The first thing that God said to a man is you are free. God wanted a man made in his image in a pristine setting that he put him in. And he said you are free. Free to what? You can enjoy the place I put you and I have called you to make it better. You're going to work it. You're going to make it better. That's work, friends. You have a calling. It's to, when I began to think about this second chapter of Genesis, these are three common questions to all mankind. Where do we come from? What is my purpose? How do I perform my purpose? Are these not questions on everybody's mind at some point in their life? Yep. Amen. Yeah, if they're not on your mind, friends, then I don't know what is. <coughs> Where did I come from? Genesis answers that question for you. You're hand-formed by the living God. As Jeremiah said, you were knit together in a womb. Apparently, Jeremiah was pro-life. Maybe God is pro-life. If you're the author of life, I think you have to be pro-life. You ever bumped up against mental illness? Anybody in here? Yeah, I have too. Maybe mental illness really could be defined as any thought that's not like God's thoughts. Any action that's not like God's actions. Maybe any deviation from what God is like is deviant behavior. I don't know what your excuse is today. I had a whole list myself. Jesus was not impressed with them. I want to tell you, you were formed in the hand of God and you were placed somewhere. And you were given a purpose to work the soil. Your life is of your making. 
is not because you started a certain way. Are you hearing me? I think that's the Holy Ghost. Your life is not because you started somewhere. You were placed wherever you were placed, but you were hand-fashioned by God. And you were told to work the soil of your life. Come on, let's get to work. Y'all want to work? Yeah. Anybody want to work? Yeah. Ever seen a sign that said, we'll work for food? Yeah. I'll tell you a secret in the Bible. Your food is your work. Jesus said in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. You want purpose in life? You want to feed your spirit? Then we have to get after what God has called us to do. Everything else, as Solomon said, is meaningless. You want to get after what God called you to do. I held an altar call that I know we could have had during worship. Many of you have been here before. Sometimes we fill our altars and see people saved and delivered and baptized in the Holy Ghost and healed in the service before we even preach. If you were baptized last week, raise your hand. It's a, it's a, it's a, a point worth on. Keep them up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Fourteen people made it to the service. That is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. You know how many were baptized last week? Twenty-one. Where are the others? See, we can be after an experience with God, and what He's after is a lifelong walk with Him. Yeah. If you will not work the soil of your heart, nothing planted in you will survive. If you will not work the soil, if you will not receive supernatural word, God gave you a free will that can kill anything. How many people were called to be worship leaders and ended up working for the rock and roll industry? How many people were called to be pastors and instead became prophets on bar stools? How many people traded or exchanged the glory of God for something base? We have to work our soil, friends. I just would like to talk to you about that for a minute because next time we baptize 21 people, I want to see 42 come to church. I want them to have experienced something that they intend to keep a life long and they go grab everybody they can find and bring at least one because they can carry one if they have to. Oh, Jesus, where is our dedication? As I began to think about that, though, he healed ten lepers and only one came back. Apparently the heart of a human being is an incredibly fickle thing. Where do we come from? You are made in the hands of God. What is your purpose? He called you to make the place that you live in and even your very heart, the center of your being, better than it was when he had More in the image of God. How do you do it? Through the freedom he's giving you. Freedom. Christianity is ultimately about freedom. It's about the freedom to do what God has told you to do. You say, but I'm limited. You say, I got a mental illness. I got an addiction. I got a... He will give you freedom. Christianity is about freedom. The first word God wants to speak to you is you are free. And you say, but look at the chains. And he says, stop looking at the chains and look at me. They will fall off of you. Get your eyes off of the thorns and start thinking about what you plant in your life. The living God wants to set people free in here today. How do I know it? Because he set me free. He set me free. I'm not a man who is chained to the earth. I long for the heavens. Things that we must eat, that we must wear, that we must use to live. They are just things. Have you ever looked forward to a meal? 
Why do you feel like 20 minutes after you ate it? If you're like me and you eat too much, miserable. There's nothing that this earth has that is fulfilling. There's only doing the will of God. Galatians 5, 13, I'm going to read it to you. We'll even put it on a screen for you. You don't have to turn it. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You are free to do anything except sin. Just like Adam was free to do anything in the garden except the one thing that God said not to do. How is it that we have filled our lives with the things that God said not to do? And make Christianity about restriction. It is a lie of the devil. Yeah. Christianity is about being free. We say that we do things because we want to. We do things because they're fun. But you can't quit doing them when you don't want to do them. That's not freedom. It's slavery. If you sin, you are a slave to sin. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or not. If you believe in Jesus and you continue to sin, you're a slave to it. In John 8, he said to people who believed in him, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. We have churches full of people that believe in Jesus well. But they were not free, which is the first word that he intended to speak to them. All that we could circumcise our ears and hear him. In Genesis 6, you can turn there. It's very close to 3. It won't hurt your fingers. You won't get cramps. It'd probably be two, two turns of a page. Even for the American church, we can do that. I stood in India my very first trip there. And I said, hey, anybody would like to share with me a favorite scripture? Maybe something from Romans 8. People stood and started in Romans 7 and started to quote the entire chapter through Romans 8 and into Romans 9 when I stopped them. See, Christianity was not the national religion there. They were enslaved by a great many gods. But the devil made a terrible mistake. He had them make idols of those gods so that they could be seen. When they could worship things that they saw and saw no benefit, they turned on them. And they began to crave something unseen that they could feel was real. In our country, people worship things that we can see, and they're just as hollow. We don't turn on them because they're not hanging on our walls. They're hidden in our hearts, and we have to work the soil of our hearts. We say we want God's will for our lives, but what we really want is a promotion. We want God's will for our lives, but what we really want is more money. We want God's will for our lives, but what we really want is comfort. We want God's will for our lives as long as it's not too difficult, too hard, or costs too much. God's will for your life is always going to be hard. If it was easy, it would not take supernatural power to do it. Second mm. yeah. Timothy 2.22 says, Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How are you doing by that measure? Mm. Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth was. Good thing things have changed, huh? <clears throat> we kill our babies in the name of convenience. We care more about the cars that we drive than the people we drive by in our cars. Good thing this is an ancient problem, huh? Good thing it's not a problem today. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time. We have an evil bent, friends. We have a leaning towards everything that's wrong. 
We would like to believe something that many of the ancients in our country called tabula rasa, that you come into the world with a blank slate. These people were deists and they were also wrong. You do not come into the world with a blank slate. You come into the world with an evil inclination, a bent. In Hebrew it's called a yetzer ra. It means that if you were going to stand right before God, you have a kink. You simply can't do it. Like Mephibosheth, the little crippled boy, you cannot walk right with God. You need His help. Amen. Anybody in here been trying to walk right with God, but it is not working right? Understand, friends. Let me tell you this. Jesus is going to meet you. He's going to meet you here today. He's going to show you how to walk right. It will not be perfect doctrine that saves anybody. It will not be a well-crafted statement or a perfect sermon. It will be the power of the Holy Ghost and the name of Jesus. We're going to honor that name today. We're going to reverence that name above every name. I'd like to put on our church sign, pastored by Jesus, but people would misunderstand it. They would think we're an all-Hispanic community. Verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. The Lord takes a man, he makes him in his image, he hand fashions him, he puts him in the place that he put him. Man makes that place worse rather than better. He allows man to multiply, thinking that he will multiply his image all over the earth. Go out and make more of you that look like me to carry my presence. I want to fill the earth with my glory. But instead, he multiplies wickedness all of the time in every direction. And it hurt the Lord's heart. Oh my God, we can live a life that breaks God's heart. So, well, he's God. He knew what I was going to do, didn't he? I'm going to leave all of the theological arguments aside. Does your mama cry? when you do things that you know are wrong? <coughs> Did your daddy look at you with disappointment the first time you lied to him? Yeah. We can do things that break God's heart, friends. It's funny, we say we know God's heart. I would rather ask the question, we say God knows my heart. I would rather ask the question, do you know his? There are things you can do that fill his heart with pain. You know what's top of that list? Apparently, 1 John teaches us that when we walk with Him, we have fellowship with one another. When we cannot treat each other right and we can see each other, then there's no chance that we're right with God. None. It is not possible to be a racist and a Christian, black or white. It is not possible to not love the person in front of you that you can see and love God that you can't. That's right. So let's just be real. There must be an awful lot of people that call themselves Christians that are simply liars. I don't want to be a liar. Well, I'm not a racist. I've got no problems. You avoid eye contact with a disabled person. You make business jokes about Jews. It's funny. Definition of racism is always as long as it doesn't affect you. The lie that it works one direction is really silly. It's sin, friends. It destroys lives. It's sin. It destroys both lives. I'm not speaking of a black-white issue. I'm speaking of a sin issue. When I got born again, I was cured 
of what I thought was incurable racism. Curtis and I were having a meeting one time. Curtis, you still in here? No, I had to work. He had to go to work. Curtis looked at me and smiled. He said, Pastor, I didn't used to like white people. I said, it's okay, Curtis. I didn't used to like black people. He said, but you don't understand. I was in the nation of Islam. And I hated you. I said, you don't understand. I was in the world and I hated you. Then we hugged each other. And I felt the power of the Holy Ghost. You want to get right with God, it'll put you right with everyone else. If you're not right with the people sitting around you, if you're fighting for your position in life, you are not right with God. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard it. It's the wellspring of life. What have you allowed into your heart? You say, you don't understand what was done to me. It doesn't matter. You were supposed to work the soil of your heart. Be a man. Be a woman. Take responsibility for your life. The scripture says to guard the wellspring of your heart. In the ancient world, if you let an enemy pour something in your well, you were done. There was no chance at life. How long can you go without food? Some of us can't go a few hours. Others have learned to fast 40 days. How long can you go without water? Three days. Oh, that is a dramatic difference. A few of us were in Honduras a month or two ago or three ago. In the sun, a few hours go by and you, you're starting to think funny if you hadn't had water. The wellspring of your heart is everything. Oh, that the Holy Ghost would settle upon you for a moment and reveal your own heart to you. That you would see the things that you've allowed to creep into your heart. i got to tell you, there's very few ways for us to understand what's in our heart. But one of them is you can squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and see what comes out of your mouth. So we all praise well on Sunday, don't we? Yeah. Oh, glory, hallelujah. But how do you do when you're frustrated? Well, it's different. I was frustrated. No, you got the same heartbeat in your chest. The frustration just revealed your weakness. You see, we think our circumstances should dictate our actions. And I'm telling you that who you are should dictate your actions. A man of God will be a man of God in any circumstance you put him in. A sinner will be a sinner in any circumstance you put him in. How are you doing, friends? Is there thistles or is there a harvest? Turn with me to the book of Mark. Somebody say, thank God he moved to the New Testament. I actually don't feel that way at all. I love the Older Testament. I think it's the foundation of the building. But as one pastor recently put it, the New Testament's a little bit like Cliff Notes. It's dessert. It tells you everything the Older Testament intended. It just says it in shorter fashion. I don't want to be lazy with the Lord, though. I want it all. How do you get one amen for I want it all? How do you get one amen? I want it all. You said you were hungry. You said you were hungry, saints. You said you wanted more. And then I said I want it all. And you're like, amen. You should go to a Buddhist church, a universalist church, some satanic church. If this is all you want, you can get this level of spirituality anywhere. But if you want the character of God, the holiness of God, yeah. the spirit of God, and the power of God, you've got to want more. Yeah. That's better. 
Are we in Mark 3? Okay, now look at Mark 4. <laughs> what does it say in your chapter title above Mark 4? <laughs> Can I tell you that in the ancient scroll it did not say parable of the sower. We are so lazy that even in the New Testament that summarizes the concepts in the Older Testament, we need a yet further summary. It's not enough for us to simply say the words of Mark and divide it into chapters. We need chapter headings. Has there ever been a more apathetic society? Well, what's wrong with chapter headings, Pastor? Well, what if it's wrong? Hey, the sower's the same in this always. The sower's God. And he sows the word. The seed is the same always. He's sowing the word of God. Those things don't change. What changes in the parable we're about to read? Soil. The chapter heading is wrong. It misses the emphasis. The problem is not our circumstances, friends. It's not the sower's fault. It's not the seed's fault. The problem is you're a gardener and you're not gardening your heart. <coughs> the problem is the soil inside of you. Yep. We don't have any wordsmithy people in here, do we? You may have soiled your walk. I still have a few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, he said. A few people that have worked hard to maintain what I deposited in them, to fight for the place I put them. You all love the word? Yes. You know what I love the word? My wife's got this little mirror. I, I always make fun of her for it. I actually sat down at it last night. When I sat down there, my face went boom. And then I hit this switch. I felt like I was being interrogated by the mirror because a light went boom. This is what the Word does. It magnifies what you should be seeing. Maybe that's why we don't spend a lot of time in the Word. Maybe we don't want to see ourselves as we are. We would rather live in the fantasy that we're proclaiming. I love you, Lord. I do anything you tell me to do. But I cannot name a single difficult thing you've told me to do and I've done. I love that. Pastor, anything in the church I can help you with? Yes. Go clean the toilets. Like, you know, that's not my calling, you know. Well, what is your calling? Your job. I know, that's why you have a church, right? No, you want mine. <laughs> it's amazing. We're 13 years into diligent I've done a lot of it wrong. God sent me some folks that are helping me. Sent me the Devos all the way back in 2004. Sent me the Richards around the same time. Sent me the Browns. Here recently we've seen the Williams and Bartlett's come in. We've seen lots of folks come in. The cooks back there were helping me hang bathroom doors here yesterday. The work of God is hard. It requires perseverance. You will never get anything done with an attitude that only lasts through the Sunday service. That's how you baptize 21 people one Sunday and the next Sunday only 14 are here. So we have a half-hearted commitment to God. I say give Him all of your heart or stop lying about it. Is that fair? It's not nice, but it's fair. Here comes Mark 3, Mark 4. Mark 4, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? 
How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Everybody wants to get rich. Did you know that being rich is a deceiving thing? And the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Other seed is sown on good sowing. I'm going to sow seed today. As an ambassador of the living God, I'm going to speak His word today. I cannot control the soil that it falls on. You know whose job that is? Yours. You are the gardener. You get the choice of whether or not you let competing thoughts distract you. You get the choice of whether or not you can honestly apply. We don't have a one prescription for all. We have an appropriate word for you. The living God did not talk to Nicodemus about living water. He talked to Nicodemus about being born again. He did not talk to the woman at the well about being born again. He talked to her about the living water. The living God knows exactly what you need. And He brought you here today because we have a word you need. So, oh, pastor, this word is for that other person over there. Stop lying. All right. The Holy Ghost brought you here to hear this word. Right. Now you get to decide what you do with it. All right. Why don't we do this? Anybody seen a product called Weed and Feed? Yes. Did you know God made it? So, oh, no, it says on that bag that a chemical company makes it. Well, there's always a natural and a spiritual. The weed and feed that God made comes from Hebrews. It's manufactured in the book of Hebrews. It can be found on the fourth block at the twelfth house. It says the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. You need to learn to take that word, that weed and feed, and let it divide out of your life things that should not be there. You need to learn to weed and feed the soil of your heart. We're going to remove rocks. We're going to remove weeds. We're going to remove obstacles. We're going to send John the Baptist right into our hearts to make a straight and level path for the Lord. Anybody wants a heart that God can work with? Yes. Now what are we going to say to you that did not raise your hands? Does that make you incurable or incorrigible? Why would you not raise your hand to a question? Do we want a heart that God can work with? I'm going to ask it again. Do you want a heart that God can work with? Yes. See, we have a society that wants to sit back, do nothing, and receive everything. Salvation will not work that way. If you can't answer an honest question in a group like this, then let's be honest, you're not ready to walk with God. But I believe He brought you here so that you could walk with Him. So you better make up your mind now that you're going to respond to God as He calls to you. The same way that when I ask you a question, you should respond to it. Say, Pastor, I didn't know we were supposed to respond. I'm telling you. This is practice. It is practice. We think that we pray to God and He does not speak back. We sit and think we offer Christmas lists and He does not give us work lists. He is not Santa Claus in the sky, friends. He is not your magic genie. 
is the Lord of the universe. And it should be a two-way conversation. But if you won't answer me when I call, what makes you think you're answering Him when He calls? Oh man, that sounds so harsh. No, church is training. You practice and hear something that you can perform out there. I would like to tell you that Luke says about the seed that fell on the right soil. Good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, receive it, and by persevering, produce a crop. That's Luke 8.15. I want to tell you that you have the choice to make a noble heart today. You may have had every choice in your life to be one that is terrible. Maybe some of them have put you in prison. Maybe others have put other people in prison. Maybe some of them have made your family feel like they're in prison. Maybe you're enslaved by your own decisions this morning. But the farmer is still sowing seed. And how you respond to that determines the condition of the soil of your heart. I'd like to tell you that Hebrews 10 speaks of something we can do with a heart. This is Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. We are not preaching a self-help gospel. We do not believe in gospel light in this room. The truth of the scripture is that you're a monstrous sinner. That's the truth. That you're diseased stock all the way back to Adam. That you were born wicked and that you lied to your parents as soon as you could speak. That if people knew what you did in private, they would not like you in public. That's the truth. And it's true about me until the power of God changed my life. Now there is no more private. We confess our sins publicly. Something has to happen. There has to be a cleansing. Now, anybody in here would clean a house? Is there a person in here that for a thousand dollars would clean a house? I thought so. How are you going to clean my house if the doors are locked and I won't let you in? Oh my goodness. What I'm trying to say is cleansing power is available for the work that you have to let it in. He's inviting you. He's calling to you. He's been calling to you since the first song of worship. He's calling and He knows you because He made you in His hand. He said, but you don't understand where I'm at. I'm saying you are wherever He placed you. And if you're not where He placed you, move. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. Saints, do you know why we don't sleep with people that we are not married to? You only have so many pieces of your heart to give away. You have only so many times you can be joined to something and then torn from it before there's not much of the original left. It's good. <coughs> we can't join ourselves to the Lord and to the world. It will leave you torn in two. I want a heart that is healed and undivided. Good thing that Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart. That word create there means to make out of nothing or to make out of very little. 
Sometimes I've not left the Lord much to work with, but good thing is He's supernatural. Amen. Your life can be a disaster. Mine was. Mama, you here. Mine was. I almost killed her. It's amazing she's still this beautiful, isn't it? Gorgeous, godly woman. And I didn't do anything but abuse that relationship. I was entitled to everything. I gave back nothing. I know all of you are very different than that. None of you feel entitled and are takers. But for people like me, I needed my heart fixed. I needed something that was clean, something that was pure. I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me. And after having obtained a pure heart, I began to see something that the Scripture says you can see. Did you know that the Scripture says that you can see God? I thought the Scripture said I can't see God. Well, yes and no. It says no man has ever seen God at any time. That's John 3. But in Matthew 5, he says it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we work the soil of our heart and allow Him to create in us a new heart, then you are guaranteed, absolutely sure, to see the Lord. Now, you can go stand in line for a Harry Potter movie because you have a depraved heart. And you may or may not get in because there's limited seating to get in there. But the God that we serve has built a house big enough for all of us because He intended for you to make it. But it's still up to you because the ticket is a pure heart. Anybody want a pure heart this morning? I want a pure heart before God to get a pure heart. We have to open the door to our house to get a pure heart. We have to say, Lord, I need you to come in and cleanse me. We have to be honest about our condition. You can't stand and say, my house is fine, it's in order, when you are lying because you are keeping yourself from seeing God. A final note on our hearts. Ephesians 1.18 is a prayer I've been unable to wrench myself from. I first heard it from the lips of Brad Hall. Thank you, Brad. It comes from Ephesians 1.18, and I believe he heard it from Kenneth Hagin. But the truth is that a man named Paul wrote it to the Ephesian church. It says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Did you know that you cannot understand God's purpose for your life unless he helps you? You cannot understand just how great that hope is. William, God has got an amazing life for you. He would not have drug you from Baton Rouge to here if He didn't have supernatural plans for you. He has a plan for you, Sukhoi. We need an enlightening. To get an enlightening, you need a cleansing. You need to open the door. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance. Say His inheritance. We think the kingdom is about our inheritance. It's not. It's about His inheritance. It's about His name. It's about His greatness. It's about His glory. But you are His glory. You are His inheritance. He wants something from you, friends. He wants you to be what He called you to be. He wants you to fulfill His purpose. He wants when you stand here for it to be His kingdom. That's what He wants. And that is an inheritance for Him. Has He earned His inheritance? Has Jesus earned His inheritance? How did He earn it? 
Before we talk about the cross, let me ask you about the resurrection, because again, I can feel that we have theologians in the room. Jesus, risen from the dead. Is that glorious? Yes. Yes. Eric, that's glorious, isn't it? Isn't it? Have you ever tried to imagine what that's like? I can walk through a wall, but I can also eat a fish. I can be touched, but I still have a nail hole in my hand. I mean, it's like healed and yet still marked. It's like supernatural and yet totally natural. How does that work? Man, can you imagine what it would be like to see a guy like that? What was Jesus' occupation? What was his occupation after the resurrection? Oh, it's an open book test. Can somebody get to John 20 for me? Can you get to John 20 and, oh, I don't know, let's see the 14th verse. John 20 and 14. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Why, Joy? Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the... Gardener. You mistook the Lord of glory for a gardener. No, friends, he is. He is a gardener. Because he's a human being. And the, the calling of all human beings is to work the soil of your heart. Having proven his was perfect, he's beginning to examine hers. The Lord of glory will help you garden your heart. The truth is he will help you do anything that he asked you to do because he wants it done. Can I ask one more question? Good, I was going to anyway. Jesus is a gardener, right? Yes. We just got it. Jesus is a gardener. Scripture doesn't lie. She thought he was a gardener. I'm telling you, he is a gardener. Make you feel better about your occupation? Jesus spent his whole life and then the resurrection as well as a manual laborer. A carpenter and a gardener. I love spending my time with people who build things and make things grow. It's like deep calling out the deep something something down inside me just says yes. Amen. I mean we could spend our time with people that steal other people's money if you want. They got those in churches all around here. But I want to be around people who build things and make things grow. So let me ask you then. What's the only kind of garden that we know for sure Jesus spent time in in the last hours of his life? Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a Hebrew word. It means the olive press. See, you grow, you grow olives for one reason. You grow an olive tree, and it's not because you just love the wood. Although the wood's good for some things, you make furniture out of it. Grow because you want an olive. Just like you grow a fig tree because you want a fig. The Lord wants you to work the soil of your heart because He wants to grow something. And it's not about you. It's about what He can give through you. Amen. Everyone else. Yeah. That's what a healthy life is about. Yeah. So in this Garden of Gethsemane, this was an easy thing, right? Like you can you can find a book that says, I would love to be in Gethsemane. Like you can find a book that says childbirth. Easy, right? <laughs> I mean, when you, when you see a childbirth depicted on your TV screen, it's like butterflies and fairies and lollipops and sugar plums, right? What do you hear? Oh, God! Oh, this is terrible! I will kill you for doing this to me! 
right? You want to birth something, you want to produce something, it's not going to be easy, it's going to require perseverance. The Lord of glory in the, ark, in the garden of Gethsemane. How many times did he go ask his friends to pray with him? Three. Not one of them could do it. Three times on the last day of his regular earthly ministry. He did not have anyone that could pray with him those three times. They were sleeping. How much was he pressed? I mean, it was a light and momentary thing. It was an easy thing for him. The Lord of glory was pressed so hard that what came out of him? Sweat that was like drops of blood, Luke says. Blood, if you like. I, I, that's one of those things that will lead to smarter people than you. <laughs> When you're squeezed, what comes out of you? See, because if you're going to squeeze an olive, you know what you want? You want its blood. Its blood is the precious anointing oil. In fact, an olive press is a giant wedge. And you put sacks of olives in it. They had them at Gethsemane. And then you hang a stone on the end of that wedge so that it squeezes the olives. And the first pressing produces something. The first pressing called virgin olive oil was for making anointing oil. The Older Testament in the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus says it has to be clear. Can't be any pulp in it. I don't want anything except the olive oil. That's all that's fitting for my house. We can't bring the Lord something today that's still got a lot of us in it. You have to bring the Lord something that is all about Him. Then you'd hang a second stone on that bag to squeeze just a little bit more oil out. That would be lamps for houses and medicines for people. Then there would be a third pressing. The third pressing would be the last good one. You can still get food, olive oil fit for food out of it. You can get olive oil that is fit for medicines animals, veterinary medicine. You anoint your sheep's head with oil from the third press. But olive oil was pressed four times. Jesus was pressed three in the garden. Where was the last time it was pressed? What flowed from his side? Water and blood. The last pressing of an olive was only good for unclean uses. It was for fiber starter. <coughs> Pastor, what on earth does that have to do with this? Oh, he was submitted to an unclean thing to start a fire. He was submitted to something that was unclean to reach those that were unclean. Those that were so far from the church that you had to have four pressings just to reach them. He went to the furthest extent for you. Let me ask you about the condition of the soil of your heart for a moment. Some of you have difficult lives. Whether one stone's hanging on you or two stones or all of them, we have an obligation to give him only pure produce. That's our occupation. What have you been given? Has your life been pure olive oil fit for the house of God? Has your life been olive oil just fit for your house 
has your life been only fit for those that you work with? Is your life so unclean that it's not fit for anything or anybody here alone? Because he experienced all of those positions to bring us from every position back to him. He's the gardener. He's the olive press. He's the anointing oil that it produces. The king of glory wants you We have anybody in here in construction? Look at that. You know, a lot of our wood is made of pine. It's not made of olive trees. Olive trees last a long time. Where are you at, Sharon? Did you go to the Garden of Gethsemane? Those are the same olive tree root system that Jesus saw. They've been there 2,000 years. It's hard to cut down a tree like that for furniture, isn't it? You're precious. Oak is chosen because it's durable and strong. Pine is, is chosen because it grows quick. It's tall fast. Cedar's bug resistant. All woods have properties. The olive tree is tenacious. It grows in what Wikipedia calls calcareous soil. You can plant it in the nastiest soil that there is, and it will find a way to grow. Its root system is so strong, so strongly embedded in fellowship, that you can't tell where one stops and another begins. It multiplies in every season of the year. Olive trees do not have seasons. It stands through heat and drought like no other tree in the world. Its oil is useful for light. Its olives are useful for food. Its wood is useful for furniture. And while it's still growing, it's an excellent shade tree. You're supposed to be like an olive tree planted in the garden of God. You know the one way to make an olive tree sick while I'm on the subject? planted soil that needs no attention. If the soil needs no attention, the tree is not distressed enough to grow thick enough. Kind of like a bone. It gets dense under pressure. You were not made for the easy time, saints. You were made for difficult times. You get sick when things are too easy. You get healthy when there's a little adversity, a little squeezing, because it shows you where you need to change. It gives you some self-examination. Deuteronomy 24 has got a most curious verse. It says, when you beat the olives from your trees, how do you get the fruit off of an olive tree? You beat it. When you get the olives from your trees. Do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Jesus is an olive tree that took all four presents. He is an olive tree that took a beating, but he took it one time. His name should not be taking a beating now because of our behavior. His name should be something that feeds the alien, 
the foreigners, the fatherless, and you should be his hands and feet doing it. By that standard, how are we doing? And I told you that we would pray that some of you will get saved. And in the name of Jesus, that will happen. There has to be men and women of courage in here that have heard that call that will answer. I told you that people would get healed, and that will happen. In the name of Jesus, as we go, we will preach the kingdom. We will see the sick healed. We will raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons, because the king of the kingdom has told us to do it. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to open our altars. And because you have courage and the Lord has been working on your heart this entire message. And you're not going to sit back and be apathetic. You're going to work the soil of your heart and respond to that message. You're going to take a visible step. Because Christianity is not a religion of cowards who hide in corners. It stands up and gets noticed by the world. And you're going to have one competing fear. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Then don't be. Don't be. By the power of the Holy Ghost, be changed from whatever you are now to what He has called you to be. Amen. You stand